make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. Hello, everyone. My apologies. I've been a bit delayed in releasing this episode. Most of it was recorded weeks ago, but I thought it was important to have some silence for a while and to just reflect on what's been going on in the world. I wanted to take a moment to listen and learn. Despite the endless quote-unquote rational takes on IDW Twitter, racism is still a monstrous problem. And no, it's not as simple as opposing the overt KKK guys and patting yourself on the back for not being racist. It comes in many forms and shades and degrees. It permeates and shapes the system. And there shouldn't be any shame in acknowledging that we could all do better, even other people of color. As people of color, we aren't magically immune to being racist. As you can see with the tokenized minorities over at uh, PragerU used to promote bigoted talking points or as you can see from the people of color retweeted onto whatever IDWers timeline, take your pick. There are diverse people that they use to deny and downplay racism on the regular because those people come with a convenient shield or a false veneer of, hey, if a minority person is saying it, it can't be racist, right? Or more horrifically, we even saw this with the non-white police officer standing off to the side while George Floyd was brutally murdered right before his eyes. And I've seen some people are getting very uncomfortable with this current moment and the universal focus on race and racism. To that I say, if loud, vocal opposition to racism and global conversations about it make you uncomfortable and defensive, ask yourself why. If your first thought is to blame the people protesting those upholding a racist system rather than those in power, take a long, hard look at yourself. If you've been speaking up more for department stores than the black lives lost, it's really time to self-reflect. Anti-black racism specifically Despite whatever ridiculous charts Steven Pinker is sharing to downplay the issue, is still a massive dangerous force responsible for killing countless innocent people each year. And this stuff doesn't just go from zero to a hundred to murder just like that. It happens because of the cumulative effects of all kinds of racism, because of the normalization. If you were screeching endlessly about Nazi punching and free speech when it came to far riders being merely shouted down on some campus, but you aren't even spending a fraction of that time speaking up about the violence coming from the police, the bloodied and silenced journalists, the trampled protesters, then it's pretty obvious where your sympathies lie. 
and how little you care about free speech. Firing rubber bullets at journalists' throats for fuck's sake. It's time to speak out and hold our communities, our families, and friends to better standards. For example, I'll start by saying South Asian culture has a long way to go to combat anti-black sentiment within. The amount of anti-black racism that exists in the Pakistani community is immense. And I think it's time we start having those conversations amongst ourselves much more loudly. I'm glad to be seeing some of those happening around me, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Another community I'd like to see change in is the atheist slash skeptospheric one, which also has a lot of work to do in regards to challenging racism within its ranks. And it's hard to do that when all the leaders have a personal stake in denying, downplaying, and normalizing it. It's a mammoth task, I know. But please do speak up when you see it. At the very least, point and laugh at them for being so fucking transparent. Sometimes mockery is an effective strategy when calling out fear mongers and hate mongers and skull shape appreciators. A large part of my focus on this show is to document the bullshit coming from there and to challenge and mock it, and hopefully change some minds by showcasing the hypocrisies of the IDW slash Quillette type projects, where the bread and butter is intellectualizing and rationalizing all forms of hate, but especially racism. It's a depressing world these days, so I thought but maybe a Rubin book review will cheer us all up, eh? because he's fun to laugh at and because fuck racism apologists and right-wing tokens who use their minority status to prop up intolerance. Spoiler alert, it is ridiculous. (laughs) Like, probably more than you imagined it to be. But actually, first, what do you think Ruben would say about his book if he had a single honest bone in his body? Here's what that may sound like. This is my very own book. Quite frankly, it's my intellectual execution. Wow. Yes, that's right. The master plan ended up being such a colossal failure that regardless of your political affiliation, there's no way this can be considered a success. This audiobook will show you how to lose. The battle of ideas, quite easy to do when you don't know what you're talking about in the first place. I lost my mind to the point of delusion. Social justice warriors owned me on Twitter and I deserved it. Their shaming gave me unpleasant bald balls. Just what I've always wanted, bald balls. But I digress. I cannot stop hating the left and feminists. There, I said it. For the record, if I was a woman, I'd have a huge vagina. It's actually racist and sexist to believe otherwise. Recent data supports the idea that I would be clearly better off without my friendship with Ben Shapiro. But my spineless behavior dislodged something in my brain. And I truly love the renewed wave of humiliation. Every day, in fact, I am Tucker Carlson's bitch. Woohoo! Obviously, my spineless behavior is my number one weapon. So yes, all knowledge eludes me. I have zero interest in truth. Even though I am wasted on facts until 3 a.m. Trust me, dumb is forever. It's like a second religion to me. This is because PragerU is my safe space. I wish I could have the courage to admit I am the voice that right-wing America loves to hear. Oh, and that my show is bankrolled by the far right. But denial ain't just a river in Egypt, is it? Consider this book the literary equivalent of explosive diarrhea. Dare I say it, I like cashing in on my stupidity. 
and I wanted to make as much money as possible bullshitting my way through life. And this is the insidious nature of the author, Dave Rubin. Wow, I bet you're cringing hard, so hard, but you're in too deep to simply walk away. <laughs> if only Rubin were that honest or funny, eh? <laughs> Since I suffered through his terrible audiobook, read in his smug voice, I thought I'd have a little fun with it. Why not, right? Looking back, this book makes me want to go back in time and slap myself repeatedly. <laughs> okay, now, on to my review. You know, it goes without saying, obviously, but this book is a huge loss in the battle of ideas, and not at all the exciting idea revolution we were promised. <laughs> if you also enjoy torture via mediocrity and have read Rubin's book, you know what I'm talking about. Ideas have basically been slaughtered all over the pages of this quote-unquote book because of how mind-numbingly, excruciatingly dull and unoriginal this is. I was trying to work on this Rubin book review for a while and holy shit, like it's so fucking bad, it's been hard to narrow down what to even discuss. His book is so bad that even right-wing publications like The Spectator couldn't give it a positive review. It is just so unimpressive and forgettable that not a single person found it controversial or wanted to burn it. <laughs> so poor Dave burned his own fucking book just so he could have a picture of at least someone burning it for social media. No, really. He did post a picture himself of his book being burned. After hoping and waiting for someone else to, he had to take matters into his own hands. He tried to bait all you libcucks into doing it with his super clever and not at all stupid book title. And goddammit, none of you fell for it. He even dropped hints time and again about how flammable it was. And there was a giant matchstick printed right on the cover too. Like, he tried to be controversial in the most cartoonish way. But alas, no one could be bothered to burn this sad little book. And if you've seen like 0.4 of a Rubin Report episode, I think you've already received all the pearls of wisdom contained within this masterpiece. Even though he starts off saying it won't entirely be about him whining about the left, uh, that's basically it. Here's a little sample. You don't need me to go on for 250 pages about how the left has completely lost its mind. You already know this, at least on an intellectual level. <laughs> the left is no longer liberal. The left had lost it to a dangerous degree. But the problem was the progressive left, not me. The left is now regressive, not progressive. The left is now authoritarian and puritanical. The current madness of the left... The left's vision is a new social order that despises our hard-fought freedoms. The regressive left also loves to conflate nationalism with racism or white nationalism and the process of abortion and seeing the left fetishize it in a way that I'm not comfortable with. That is what the entire book is about. It's riddled with cliches and ludicrous inconsistencies, just so awkwardly and poorly written and awkwardly read, too, I should add. Like, at times it felt like he wasn't even familiar with the word he himself was using. <laughs> I mean, the publishers should really be embarrassed. Who let this thing get published? 
Jesus surrounded by Muslims. Christ. <laughs> he thinks he's writing a serious grown-up book with all these rehashed right-wing talking points. Real grown-up politics. But he also clumsily and poorly tries to throw humor in here and there, and all the jokes fall flat. So flat. Especially when you're hearing it in audio read by him. It's super cringe. Like, like he makes dad jokes sound incredibly witty. And that's how pathetic his attempts at comedy are. This doesn't mean I'm advocating for a physical wall across the entire southern border. But then again, I'm not completely opposed to the idea either. You could say I'm sitting on the fence, waka waka. Like watching a car crash. If he wasn't so soulless and harmful, I'd feel bad for him after reading this. If he tried even a little, he could come up with better criticisms of the left that aren't a complete comical straw man that sound like they've been concocted by a child. But no, that's all he's capable of. And sadly, that's the quality of the ideas his simple-minded audience want shoved down their throats repeatedly. Look, if you're somehow a Rubin fan listening to this, it's not too late to cut your losses and just acknowledge the idiocy here. Just spare yourself the embarrassment. This is not a hill worth dying on. <laughs> really, just, just think about that. Okay, moving on. There's this part where he talks about a journalist who visited him for an article he was working on, and when the article came out, it accurately painted Dave as the dishonest slime bag he is. You know, the whole pretending to be a disgruntled liberal while actually being an alt-right sanitizer and promoter thing. <laughs> yeah, so firstly, it's like a fucking paragraph that's about Dave in this article. It's mostly about Cernovich and Milo. But in his book, he makes it seem like the article is about him. And he takes completely irrelevant details from the piece, where the journalist was setting the scene and being descriptive. He mentioned Dave's husband making coffee at the coffee machine. Not to make any real point by that specific detail, but just to paint a picture of his surroundings. And Dave couldn't debunk the actual things the guy said about his tactics. So instead, he does things like pretending this article was saying that Dave was alt-right adjacent because of his coffee machine. Owning a coffee machine is enough to be branded evil. If anyone, with half a brain even, were to just go beyond the surface of the stuff Dave claims in his book, they'll very quickly and easily discover that Dave is full of shit. He's not even putting up much of a fight in the battle of ideas, guys. He has a whole long bit where he uses his book as a space to cry about the journalist that said mean things about him. He mentions them by name. You know, like, Dear Diary, today Bob said something really awful about me. I mean, come on, how whiny. When you get an opportunity to publish, this is what you do. <laughs> and secondly, how hypocritical. He goes on and on about how you should talk about ideas and not people. But here he is dedicating some serious word space to whining about people. I got whiplash from trying to keep up with how many inconsistencies and hypocrisies like this Dave's book is full of. Not wanting government involvement, but then wanting it for abortion and drugs. And then he does this wonderful little song and dance routine of being owned by black conservative Larry Elder. 
it's so obvious what he's doing. He totally showed me that I was buying into liberal lies about racism being real. He even <laughs> referred to it as his intellectual <laughs> execution. <laughs> Not realizing that the best intellectual executioner of Dave Rubin is Dave Rubin. You kinda don't need any help from Larry Elder in that department, Dave. And I mean, these right-wing talking points are just awful in regular times, but with the political climate right now, it is even more vile. There was a steady stream of memes and gifs, each one more biting than the last, with captions featuring the obligatory uppercase verbs like Elder destroys Reuben, Hero demolishes lefty snowflake, etc. Elder, the self-described sage of South Central, had long been challenging the progressive narrative as an outspoken black conservative, and he was fearless about it. The son of a janitor who was raised in a working-class home, he was living proof that race and class don't hold people back. Prior to his appearance, most of my guests had been liberals such as Sam Harris, Gad Saad, <laughs> Majid Nawaz, who coined the term progressive left, and Peter Boghossian, who'd also started to recognize the left's issues. Nothing could have prepared me for the red pill that Larry was going to put in my mouth and force me to swallow. Worse yet, millions of people all over the internet were going to watch me gag as it went down. Now there's a sentence I never thought I'd say. And so I was blind to my own ignorance. It all became painfully obvious when I asked him about systemic racism in America, a social theory I presented as fact. Give me an example, he said, cutting me off. Tell me what you think the most systemic issue is. Flummoxed, all I could do was regurgitate the pre-programmed talking points that were lodged into my brain from years of osmosis. First, I brought up the issue of slavery. Well, uh, I would say uh, because black people uh, in most cases were descendants of slaves, that racism uh, just exists. I said throwing around a few random buzzwords into a semi-coherent sentence. Larry wasn't convinced. What's your basis for saying that? He hit back. Give me an example. Tell me what you think the most systemic racist issue is. What is it? Once again, I relied on the wisdom of my factory settings. I think you could probably find evidence that in general, cops are uh, more willing to shoot if the perpetrator is uh, black. Nope, I still wasn't gaining ground on him. 96% of them were black on black. Where are the Black Lives Matter people on that? He added, in Chicago in 2011, 21 black people were shot and killed by white cops. In 2015, there were just seven. This was a bloodbath, and I was the one being bludgeoned. The top cop at the time was black. The number two cop was black. The majority of the command staff was black. The mayor is black. The attorney general is black. And yet here we are talking about racism? It's absurd. I remember feeling physically uncomfortable in my chair as Larry laid out the incontrovertible truth. You're the one who made the assertion that racism remains a major problem in America. You didn't hold it up very well, so what's the other argument you have? I'm not mad. I just want to know what you're talking about. Elder was right, and he damn well knew it. And even in these times, he keeps touting every interview with a black person that he's done for the purposes of denying or downplaying racism. Like, this moment isn't making him hold back even a little bit. 
He's so, so shameless. I just scrolled through his Twitter for the past week or so just to see if, you know, libertarian free speech hero Dave had a single negative thing to say about the endless police brutality on display all across the internet recently. And nothing. It's all just about wokeness being bad and anti-racism being the real racism. This guy is a living caricature. (laughs) And it's funny and all, but don't forget in that how sinister he is and the radicalizing effect he has on vulnerable, ignorant, lonely young people and his growing reach with being buddies with Trump Jr. and, you know, far-right politicians. Aside from the racism's not real bits, there's just so much. You're not a Nazi insecurity. Holy shit. Let me just give you a little taste. If you decide to embark on this intellectual journey, a member of the woke mob will undoubtedly accuse you of being a Nazi. In this chapter, you'll acknowledge the ridiculously obvious truth that you are not, in fact, a Nazi. Sure, you know that real racists and bigots exist, but that doesn't make you one of them. Chapter 4. Don't worry, you're not a Nazi. Congratulations, I have fantastic news. You are not a Nazi. You may be wondering how I know this, considering we've probably never met, but trust me, I know. What's vital going forward is that you know this too. See, we live in strange times. Very strange times. An era in which people secretly hope you are a Nazi because then at least they'd have a real villain to rage against. Real Nazis hated gays and Jews to the point of mass extermination of them in purpose-built death camps, so it's pretty unlikely that I would suddenly be their go-to choice for bedtime reading, even if this is a page-turner. Therefore, any modern-day Nazi worth his salt would be burning this book, not thumbing through it. So if you do burn this book, please take a picture of it and use hashtag don't burn this book on Instagram. So relax, you're not a Nazi. Oh, and you're also not literally Hitler because he's dead. Mazel tov. And that's followed by stop hating straight white men stuff. Chapter 7. Stop hating straight white men, America, and Western values. Speaking of skin color... Stop being racist and sexist to straight white men. It's now fashionable to judge people based on skin color and gender if they're straight white men. The simple truth is that white men are largely the architects of modern day America, which by the way is totally fine. Without them, we would be a much lesser country. From Thomas Jefferson's Declaration of Independence to Abraham Lincoln's ending of slavery, It's pasty white dudes who've enshrined your ability to hate them. Of course, mainstream culture won't honor this truth, but you as a free thinker should. People who buy into hating white men are prime examples of what Friedrich Nietzsche, another white man, referred to when he said, whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he does not become a monster. And if you gaze long enough into an abyss the abyss will gaze back into you. In other words, today's progressives have now become the sexists and racists they've claimed to hate. That's what I'm here for, to give you truth bombs. So let me blow up that myth right now. 
If you work hard and are nice to people, nobody will give a flying fuck about your sexuality, your race, your gender, or whether you're an atheist, polysexual, vegan with blue hair. <laughs> Seriously. Nothing is holding you or anyone else back, especially not straight white men. It gets really repetitive. You're seeing the theme here, right? Racism. Totally not real. You're absolutely not a Nazi. No, no, no. I promise you're not. You're not. Just relax. And the endless stop hating straight white men stuff. Then there's this completely new and refreshing angle that he takes. I kid, I kid. It's the same stale bullshit. He goes on about how Western women aren't oppressed and how men are more oppressed. Just standard MRA nonsense that you could see on any rando incels blog. Western women are not oppressed. There, I said it. Despite this, we're constantly told that today's women are an oppressed class, trapped in a state of perpetual bondage. No, not the fun kind. In fact, American women have never been more liberated in our country's 244-year history, which is a good thing. Feminists, feel free to smile. Considering these facts about modern-day women, it's just as easy to apply an oppression narrative to men as it is to apply it to women. In fact, recent data supports the idea that men are as oppressed, if not more oppressed, as women are. When you look at the facts, women seem clearly better off. They even live longer lives. He uses selective education stats to claim that Western women aren't oppressed because women dominate universities. And then he ends his chapter by saying you'll find real misogyny in the Middle East. But if he looked at similar numbers for there, by his own standards, that would mean Saudi women aren't oppressed either because Saudi women make up 52% of university grads. And just like that, with the slightest effort, you can debunk and collapse all the high-level ideas in Dave's book and toss them in the bin where they belong. And that's probably why a lot of right-wingers haven't liked it either, and why Sam Harris is still a bit silent about it. <laughs> because the flimsiness with which he defends these ideas is an embarrassment to them too. His book is just littered with examples of this type of low-level, shallow thinking. He compares geographical borders to doors and even personal space. It might be because you think borders are bad, but they aren't. Borders are all around us in various forms. They're the laws that stop criminals from stealing our property, the front doors that keep us safe at night, and the parameters of personal space that discourage people from getting in our faces. It's filled with bold claims backed up by nothing but anecdotal shit, like white people are being removed from jobs because they were told that a person of color would do a better job. And the last part of his book is just him writing Jordan Peterson's coattails and trying to copy 12 Rules for Life. Dress better. Another question that often came up during our Q&A sessions was when exactly did Jordan decide to become a middle-aged male fashion icon? Typically, I preferred to keep it a little looser. I'd wear my usual Ruben Report getup, which consisted of jeans, boots, a casual shirt, and a sports jacket, which I'd buy online for about 60 bucks. It was just enough polish to look professional without being stiff. Plus, Jordan was the main event. I was the warm-up, and having a slightly different style helped to keep that distinction. After all, I was cracking jokes. He was changing lives. Comfort was key, especially when I was off-duty. 
Jordan, on the other hand, would always maintain a certain standard regardless of where we were, what we were doing, and how everybody else in the crew dressed. As we walked down the boardwalk at the beach, I asked Jordan about his uptick in personal style. It turns out it was one of the 12 rules for life that didn't make the final edit. Dress like the person you want to be, he told me. He was obviously correct, and it's something we're all aware of every day. Dressing well can not only determine what energy you put into the universe, but also what you get in return. This is why people judge books by their covers. Don't get me wrong, on the weekends I've still got my favorite baseball hats, jeans, and sneakers for when I'm lounging around the house, but I've also added some sharp suits, quality shirts, and fitted jackets to the mix for when the situation, the audience, and the universe deserve it. Just take a quick look at our most vocal critics. It's no coincidence that social justice warriors are frequently out of shape, poorly dressed, and have messy hair along with their overall disheveled appearance. If some dress for success, they dress for failure. Now get out there and buy yourself something nice. Your future deserves it. <laughs> Some real groundbreaking stuff there. He sure debunked the SJWs. <laughs> also very original. And speaking of original, there's some Dinesh D'Souza nonsense in this book. So let me say this one more time for the record. You are not a Nazi. Let's look at the evidence. Exhibit A. I'm guessing you're no fan of socialism, which was a founding principle of the Nazi movement. These days, Nazism gets associated with conservatism at the drop of a hat, but historically, it stems from the left. Adolf Hitler, an art-loving vegetarian who seized power by wooing voters away from Germany's social democrat and communist parties. And some Paul Joseph Watson nonsense. Free thinking is the new counterculture, which makes it cutting edge and subversive like punk rock or hip hop in the early 1980s. Oh, and he stole this factory settings catchphrase from his friend who specifically asked him not to. His segment on trans issues reads like one large, I identify as a helicopter joke snore. We certainly haven't seen that one a billion times before. And the funniest thing is that I guess he's desperate to get more official positive reviews and no one else is doing it. So just like the book burning, poor Dave has to take this on himself. <laughs> and he started a fucking book club where he reviews his own book with his friends each episode, who he knows will only have nice things to say. And <laughs> he calls those little content gems, don't burn this book club. <laughs> which makes no sense, of course. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts on this mediocre mishmash of other people's ideas. You do have to give him some credit for the level of accidentally hilarious ridiculousness in here, though. That had to be the highlight for me. When he says stuff that he doesn't mean to be funny, but it's fucking hilarious, or when he thinks he's writing something to make you laugh with him, but you're actually laughing at him, <laughs> or how without a shred of self-awareness, he describes the perfect term for how he talks about the left and SJWs. Psychologists have a word for this behavior, catastrophizing. When we catastrophize, we engage in an irrational thought process that leads us to believe something is far worse than it actually is. That's the incredible irony of it all. Yes, Dave. 
The incredible irony indeed. <laughs> that inadvertent comedy was definitely what made digging through this trash heap worthwhile. And let me tell you, no, I absolutely didn't pay for it. I would never. And only because I had access to the audio version did I make it through because I could listen to Ruben's smug voice reading it at me while I did some other work. And now, for the icing on this cake of logic and reason, I asked you guys on Twitter who your favorite Ruben Dunker was, and by far the most popular answer was Michael Brooks. So here he is. <laughs> we had a blast chatting about this. Enjoy. And support the show on patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes to help it survive and thrive. All right, today I have a very special treat. I've got the number one Ruben Dunker out there to uh, <laughs> chat with me about Ruben's incredible, incredible book. Michael Brooks, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's good to be speaking with you. How are you? I'm okay. It's uh, very good to have you back on the show. And uh, what have you been Pleasure. up to? You've been busy too. Yes, a lot. Um, I mean, I, I basically do four shows now. So that's wild. <laughs> like, you know, the base is the Michael Brooks show. And that's, of course, what I hope everybody will go to TMBS first and foremost. And we've been actually doing a lot of extra content so far um, in the quarantine. Some of that will continue. Some of that will slow up. Um, and, uh, you know, so I've got that, got TMBS, then I have uh, still on uh, Majority Report, just launched uh, Weekends with Anna Kasparian for Jacobin, and I do uh, Woke Bros for the Count of Dings Network with my buddies, uh, Wasni Lambre and Nando Vila, and I have a new book out, so it's a lot's cooking. Lots of uh, high-level ideas? A lot of high-level ideas, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. You sound like you have really been busy and had absolutely no time to be bored during the lockdown. I mean, I'm bored because, you know, we can't, like, I miss travel. I miss uh, going outside. I miss mm. the gym. I mean, look, I already totally have a very overworked and extremely work-focused schedule. There's no doubt about it. But, like, the kind of circuit breakers are gone. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's life, right? We have to hang in there. Uh, how have you been? Uh, yeah, you know, I have a one and a half year old almost, so it is kind of oh, crazy. Wow. Being locked up with wow. the baby. Um, yeah, he's like <laughs> learning to climb couches and jump off of couches, and he's desperate <laughs> to go outside for things. It's just sad. Oh, oh. yeah, that's but, intense. Yeah. But other than that, yes. uh, you know, this book that we're about to discuss uh, was good for <laughs> a lot of laughs. Um, I, I, I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for this. I, I, I have not read. I, I, I've read maybe a couple of paragraphs from it that have been excerpted on Twitter. So this is going to be fresh. And, uh, and, and, yeah, completely fresh for me. Oh, awesome. This is going to be so good. Okay, so are you ready for your first clip, Michael Brooks? Yes, please. Please <laughs> hit me. Okay. That's right, people. I want you to walk into a bar and order yourselves a full-bodied opinion. 
I want you to get absolutely wasted on facts until 3 a.m. And then when you're just about ready to pass out, I want you to get another large glass of reality and chug it. I then want you to have intellectual binges that are so wild you go missing for days, eventually waking up on a stranger's sofa hungover on reality. <laughs> this is the one that I have already read, and it's uh, it's it's even more embarrassing hearing him say it. You know, I mean, here here's what's what strikes me is that especially in the process of writing against the web and and you know where my work has taken me, I realized that. My original beef with people like Sam Harris is that they're they're essentialists. They mm-hmm. don't, you know, they don't look at things in material and historical relationship yeah. to make it sound very highfalutin. And I am, you know, as as somebody who really does look at things in a pretty steadily Marxist way and is very influenced by Adolf Reed. There is my one Adolf Reed obligatory Adolf Reed reference per interview. I, you know, I'm I'm having a fair amount of critiques of some aspects, certainly of like I guess like the woke left or whatever. Um, that you know, in some ways, in for similar reasons, although in very different ways than I had about uh, Sam Harris and the intellectual dark web. And I guess my point is, is it's just so funny to. This Dave Rubin just like the most exaggerated character of (laughs) take like he just takes these grievances and these like concepts that might even be occasionally like half right and then just takes them in the most comically inverse direction. Like this guy is totally doctrinaire. I know exactly what he's going to say about everything before he says it. <laughs> and I think that's, what's kind of funny about him. And, and, and also, I mean, it's funny of the, it's representative of the whole click because like, I didn't spend much time writing about Dave in my book because theoretically the book is supposed to be like, you know, kind of like something that has some durable value. It's not just like a dump fest and there's even some critiques of the left mm-hmm. and how we could build a better left and all this type of thing. And, you know, but I think what makes him so funny is that he, whether or not he's explaining to Joe Rogan that there shouldn't be any, you know, that the, the post office would figure it out or staring blankly into space while he interviews one of these assholes that comes on a show, he basically is just saying the same thing that a lot of these other characters are saying just without any like edifice, like any, you know, it's just sort of like, Hey, here's the bare bones of the argument, Dave Rubin. In the stupidest way possible. Yeah. Yeah. Just staring blankly into space. I don't even, you know, I don't know. I, I read that and it's such a cliche, but I am genuinely wondering about the editing process on this. It's like, it, it sounds like some type of, it's so weird. It almost reminds me of like, I don't know, like Jack Kerouac or something, except like Jack Kerouac was writing about like alcoholism and meditation. It's so bizarre. It sounds like some incel teens diary, to be honest. Like, I think that's an insult to them. (laughs) (laughs) I think we gotta be, I think, I think that's an insult. It is so badly written. Right. You don't even know. Like, he includes things like yada, 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 and denial <laughs> isn't just a river in Egypt, you know. Like, these ah! are just... <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, 
seriously? Seriously. These are parts of his book. That's great. There's this part where he talks about how he was losing a lot of hair because of the stress that, you know, of people hating on him and some of his friends. Like, he says he won't name them, but it's pretty obvious. He's talking about Anna Kasparian, I think. Because, like, this person was, like, a sister to me. And even they turned around and said that, you know, just uh, because I came out of the political closet, something, 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 they were, like, fuck you, or I don't know. And then he's, like, talks about how he could have lost the hair on his balls right? and basically <laughs> implies that it's the fault of the left. Wow. You know, I, I spent so much time thinking about how ineffectual and unstrategic the left can be. But if mm-hmm. we actually have the power to <laughs> take the hair off of Dave Rubin's balls, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah, that's uh <laughs> I mean, that's that's like that's that's kind of like X-Men. <laughs> truly. Um and the irony is that he starts his book off by saying, you know, you don't need me to go on for 250 pages about how the left has lost its mind. But then he literally let the entire book is about that. I don't know why he bothered saying that in the beginning. Like I, I did like a word search, and there are 117 mentions of the left, 62 mentions of progressive, 29 of the word mob, 14 of the word <laughs> woke, and then 60 of the word idea. <laughs> um, How many times does he talk about John Stuart Mill? Once, I think. <laughs> that's it. Just the one See, time, that's vaguely. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like your whole, not to get too pretentious about it, but it's like your whole brand. I don't know if he still does the whole classical liberal thing, but. Oh, yeah. That you, that's your, that's your guy. I mean, you know, that's, that's like, that's somebody you got to be reflecting on. So he's got, and I'm, and I'm guessing he doesn't exactly, you know, he's not, when he talks about the left, he's not like, uh, you know. I don't even know. I'm trying again. I'm not even trying to be too highfalutin. I don't know. You know, he's. I'm assuming he's not like trying to take on uh, Eugene Debs or Gramsci or something. No, he's <laughs> just talking out of his ass, basically saying that you know women are celebrating their abortions, um, and f- four-year-olds are getting gender transitions, and <clears throat> there was this one amazing part where he talked about how the left celebrated the Charlie Hebdo terrorists. I'm going to play that for you. This horrific incident plunged France into national mourning with then-President Francois Holland calling it an attack on free speech. I'm sorry. World leaders even joined more than one million people on the streets of Paris in peaceful protest. But instead of voicing unequivocal condemnation of the terrorists, like any sane person would do, my fellow lefties defended them. What? You heard that correctly. They said criticism of the gunmen would be Islamophobic and implied that the dead had it coming for being provocative. At that very moment, I realized just how high the stakes were. The left had lost it to a dangerous degree. I mean, he provides no evidence of the left saying that criticisms of the terrorists would be Islamophobic. This is just something he said, like this massive, bold claim. And doesn't... I like... 
I like Francis Holland. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I got lost in dumb shit like that. Uh, I do remember Oland, uh, Oregon. I mean, you know, this is a cla- this is a classic thing, right? Where, and in some ways, I wonder if if uh, not not strongly, but my views might have shifted a little bit. But I mean, yes. Okay, so did anybody on the left of any faction say? that criticizing this specific act would be Islamophobic. Literally nobody that I could think of. I think the argument, if I, and I don't even want to give him credit, really, but I think he's pointing to an argument of everybody saying that this was completely unacceptable, but then how people wanted to open an argument about free speech, Islam in Europe, mm-hmm. and satire, you know, all of these issues, which honestly, I, I have to say, like, in some ways, I'm in general, a great deal more bored by than I used to be, <laughs> if I can confess. Um, but, I, you know, and of course, like, it, the inverse of the point he's trying to make is, I believe it was Hezbollah at the time actually condemned this action. So the action specifically was not popular. There were some broader debates that I remember uh I think it was Sam Harris who at the time said, like, the, the only the, – everybody needs to publish these cartoons so journalists are all safe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, I, so it's like, okay, that's brilliant. And, you know, this, this is a classic move here because, I, look, I totally think that there are – you know, there are some people, and we all kind of know, and these guys made endless hay out of it of of a sort of like woke identitarian politics which maybe at times and i think they people actually thought my politics were coming from this place they my politics were coming from a bit of a different place because i was my thing was that islam is not one thing period Mm -hmm. right and not to get too much into it but my thing was like you don't be an asshole about islam or muslims period because the idea that there's one truth about islam is is in my view like my reading just ludicrous as like mm-hmm. a, as like as it is of any religion it's just not how it works so making these blanket statements and then leveraging it to support repressive policies and vicious foreign policy um, is a disaster uh, and then, you know, and then, of course, there was other there were I'm sure there were some folks that were like, oh, you know, Islam is the most peaceful thing on the planet. Right, right, right. Don't ever, you know, and obviously I don't buy that either. But it, it's just funny because if you go under the surface, there are these really dynamic and, and really interesting and maybe sometimes, frankly, not as interesting. But, you know, there's a lot of important dynamics to that. And all he's got is grand sweeping generalization that it's like if he wasn't so fucking lazy, he might have been able to right. find like some analogous things that he could try to make hay off of. But he has to go with like the most just brute force bullshit that real. I mean, I don't know. You know what? Maybe, maybe there's some Tumblr account that I can't think of. But maybe, I can tell yeah. you, it's some, you know, I don't think any, there's not a single person, including people that these guys would demonize that defended the literal act of murdering Charlie Everybody was terrified by that. And then saying that, you know, criticism of the terrorists was Islamophobic, like that's absolute (laughs) nonsense. Like I remember being critical of a lot of takes. There were some bad takes, but this, this just didn't happen. Like, 
he yeah, as you said, he takes the laziest, uh, most nonsensical view. Like when he could have found something to actually criticize there. Uh, but that's our Dave Rubin. That's also like our, you know, six years ago uh, controversies drive our redundant and boring to boring politics of today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So far, so good. I'm <laughs> chugging a lot of reality here. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Don't chug too fast now. <laughs> hey, um, I, I want to wake up on a couch of ideas that I don't even recognize. <laughs> I... <laughs> oh, my God. He, he's such a clown. He's such a clown that, you know, even right-wing publications haven't been able to give him a good review. Have you seen these, like, spectator uh, reviews of his book? They're devastating. I read the spectator review. There's and that two was... of them. That was, that was like a pretty, I mean, that was like a body blow review. Yeah. <laughs> and there's That's another just like, one. There, is it, oh, there's another one. What other, who else did that? Another right wing publication uh, did that. It, it was again in the spectator, if I remember correctly. And this person rightfully, they pointed to something that I was also thinking, but I couldn't actually pinpoint where I had heard it before. They said that he basically, um, stole somebody's like you know a catchphrase or idea like hashtag idea where he keeps repeating this line about returning to factory settings or whatever everything he says is something he's latched onto something that his guests have said like regressive left was something that Majid Nawaz used to say and that just became Ruben's thing and now this factory settings and then he also goes on about like how the fringe is the new counterculture or something like that. That's like, Oh all... yeah. They're really, they're really into that stuff. Well, you know, if what you're saying is true about, uh, regressive left, um, Majid should sue him. <laughs> no, because, uh, Majid only does that one convenient. <laughs> I'm just playing. I know. I know. <laughs> he would, it would never. be really funny though. He would it never. It would be very funny. It would that be That would funny. be comedic. <laughs> and then he has like so many repetitive chapters like you know when it's called don't hate straight white men when it's called you're not a nazi um like he's trying to convince his readers that they're not nazis for reading through his book like he goes through this insecurity repeatedly in the book like no 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 you're not a nazi you're not like it's like if you didn't think he was a nazi before picking up this book after reading it, like, why are you so overly defensive about it? What What is up with that? Are you a Nazi? Like, I don't think Dave is a Nazi, but the way he's, you know, constantly saying, you're not a Nazi, you're not a Nazi, it makes me wonder why he's so defensive about that. Um, yeah, well, Dave's, Dave's, Dave seems like a pretty defensive guy. I mean, again, you know, it just seems to me that this whole thing is built on i mean his complete inability to have i mean you know even when he was quote unquote on the left whatever that even means he this is somebody without politics who doesn't view things in any type of a historical way at all so all he can do is like you know all he can do is kind of take like oh, okay these people over here are making these really inflammatory statements or i can find some kind of 
examples of stupidity or excess, that's the left. And the only thing I can do is define the reaction to that. I mean, it's, it's kind of depressing because this whole political project is just, it's, it's, it's sort of like just another, I mean, it, from my worldview, it's just kind of like a certain faction of kind of aggrieved neoliberalism reacting against another form of neoliberalism, basically. But I, I, I've seen Dave say that a lot, where he's like, no, I don't think they're Nazis. I don't think they're not like, and, and again, it's like, dude, I, I don't. Yes. I totally see how in online culture generally there is a there is just sort of excess mm -hmm. and stupidity and people just you know not being able to think through things generally. I I really I see that as as like a systemic problem, but I also see that like you're just building this you know this kind of just just embarrassing pathetic one note brand on on yeah I mean just. It, on just the most, I mean, again, it's just, it's so stupid and so embarrassing and so limiting on its face that to me, it's like the only way you could even go in a direction with this guy is to is to really say, like, look at how pathetic these scenes are, whether it's the IDW or the broader American right, that, like, they're so desperate for somebody that came to their side, quote unquote. Yeah. That they will take anybody. Anybody. You know? Like, you are scraping yeah. the bottom of the barrel if Dave Rubin is your guy. Oh, I mean, my wow. Gosh. Okay, so wow. here's the not the Nazi chapter. Like, well, not the whole chapter. <laughs> the whole chapter. Not the whole chapter. Though there are some chapters that are, like, just a couple of pages long. But, <laughs> um, yeah, here's the beginning of the You Are Not a Nazi chapter. Stop worrying about whether you're a Nazi. If you decide to embark on this intellectual journey, a member of the woke mob will undoubtedly accuse you of being a Nazi. In this chapter, you'll acknowledge the ridiculously obvious truth that you are not, in fact, a Nazi. By truly owning this knowledge, you'll free yourself from the number one weapon that authoritarians have in their arsenal, shaming. Did you get that? <laughs> I, I did. I... <laughs> the number one weapon that authoritarians have in their arsenal is shaming. 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 I mean, that's what everyone's afraid of, right? With like extreme authoritarian leaders is that they're just going to shame them. I remember the shaming fields. <laughs> like MBS. <laughs> MBS is super scary because he will shame you. Yeah. MBS, man, MBS really, really checked Jamal Khashoggi's privilege. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether to laugh or cry at that. I'm but. sorry, I, I don't even know. I can't even. <laughs> the only way my brain can process these is just is just through the most uh, the most low end humor. Um, right, okay, they're so, that dumb. And also, I don't know what the fuck that even means. Like, I I am yes, I think people should read heterodox things. They should push themselves. They should you know and for sure. And I will say, what's so funny to me is like I do think a lot of the best internal critiques come from you know I. <laughs> Inside the left, basically, mm -hmm. right? I, 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 inside what is broadly defined of as the left. But I, you know, I think, uh, 
I think you could kind of tune into not just, you know, ideas. I mean, ideas, the way he talks about them are so boring, but you should have a sense of different social movements, different ideologies, why different things work the way they work. But um, it's just very funny and very telling that the idea, it's like, okay, you know, you've stopped reading like the top 10 reasons that Seinfeld's problematic on BuzzFeed or whatever. <laughs> and now the only other choice is to read and engage with content that people call Nazi. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's a lot of gradations out there, homie. <laughs> it's something someone who is totally secure in their non-Naziness would just not need to go on about this at repeated times in their book, you know? I just... Yeah, I mean, he's got no... But again, it's like, I think his whole worldview is just... is just a handful of pop representatives of of various kind of small factions of online politics. I mean, this guy has no... nothing, no relationship um, with anything in terms of of politics generally. I mean, in some ways that's kind of like at this point, like when I first started making fun of Dave and talking about Dave, there was something relevant about it because terrifyingly enough, there were people that were actually buying this, right? Like they actually, yeah, yeah, like, hmm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really interested, you know, and it was, again, it was like, no, I mean, he's just, you know, claiming ideological labels that obviously he doesn't understand what they are. Because, you know, his understanding seems to be really limited of things generally. And then basically just like serving up softball interviews for the Gen X and millennial versions of whatever, you know, fill in the blank right wing trope. Mm -hmm. um, but now, I mean, I think it's kind of pretty broadly understood. I mean, he, you know, and I think also at a time when he kind of was freaking out a year ago, it was, you know, Quillette published some stuff that was mean <laughs> about him. So even people, you know, in his own cohort finally started to be like all right man like come on you you know you don't know what you're doing and this is kind of embarrassing to be associated with yeah. but i think that you know now the interesting part is how, what he represents and, and and you know and again i think you could expand this to include a lot of people and a lot of tendencies but like this idea as politics is just this sort of like easy consumer choice that you just kind of dial into that doesn't have any, it's, you know, and again, when it's so disconnected, that's why when he says ideas, it's so funny because it's just like, yeah, ideas, like they exist in a vacuum and they yeah, have no yeah. relationship to anything, <laughs> you know, like that. It's just like, okay, yeah, this is just this thing called politics. And basically you just, you know, it's, it's another kind of consumer choice and you can just kind of tap into it and choose your adventure. And there's something about, you know, Dave is like the ultimate embodiment of somebody like, you know, he talks about politics for a living and doesn't know anything. Oh. And I don't mean like, I don't, you know, I don't care if people have a PhD or whatever. I just mean like aggressively dense. Yeah. And there, I don't know. There's something to that about the online economy, how the opinion economy is shaped and his role in it. That, that to me is like the kind of future of how he could remain interesting. Cause I do think at this point, I think we've kind of done our job. Like, I don't think there's many people who are under the illusion that uh, that Dave is like a, a free thinking, like, <laughs> straight shooter, you know? <laughs> 
No, and have you noticed, like, I don't think Sam Harris has put out any, like, endorsement of this book yet. I, I, I mean, things may change from the now till when I release this episode, but as of now, I haven't seen it. And Eric Weinstein also wrote, oh, my friend Dave, who we've drifted apart politically somewhat, you know, but I haven't read his book, but you should check it out. Like, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> you should check it out what a ringing endorsement i haven't read it yeah and people hey, underneath are like hey maybe you want to maybe you want to read things that you recommend before you recommend them all right you ready for some more um some yeah. more clips hook me up here we go so to help you achieve what shrinks call the breakthrough consider this book the literary equivalent of a hazmat suit Except rather than handle radioactive chemicals, you'll face a truth that's only hazardous to your health if you continue to ignore this. The left is no longer liberal. Once upon a time, the left truly was liberal. Liberals used to champion the rights of women, black people, and gays. They fought for all marginalized groups to be equal under the law. Did you, did you hear that? Like, consider this book the literary equivalent of a hazmat suit. <laughs> I mean, I I think he's stumbling onto something there. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You know what's hitting me while I'm listening to this is that this is the part I've always kind of wondered what makes Dave. You know, he is such an inviting, like you know, he's a very inviting comedic target. Yeah. And I think there is this, and I said at one point that he is the perfect meeting point of genuinely stupid and genuinely craven, which I think is, is true. Like, I think, you know, clearly he doesn't seem to be that worried about, oh, like, what if I go on Joe Rogan's show and say something that, you know, is going to completely humiliate me in front of millions of people or, you know, like, whatever. Uh, you know, genuine, but also you know, knows how to hit the right notes, knows where the bread is buttered. But I think what's what I think the latest dimension of Dave that's actually I'm realizing as I listen to this, that's very funny, which is that now it's like almost almost this kind of like guru type of language dropping in. You know where he's stealing that from? Who's he stealing that from? And at the end, it gets even more obvious. Like, he's tried to do his own, like, 12 rules for life. Like, at the end, he's kind of just said, like, oh, you know, he's my hero, Jordan B. Peterson, and he's changed my life, and here are my rules. So, like, you know, he adds, like, dress (laughs) dress well or something. Just dress well. (laughs) And then you know what he says in that section? You know, it's no coincidence that SJWs are poorly dressed. (laughs) not at all Um, i mean and it's also no coincidence that he dresses like he's trying to be an extra on entourage in 2005 (laughs) oh man i like how you were talking about how he has like no politics because this line will go nicely with that this audiobook is your 10-step guide for political authenticity (laughs) (laughs) isn't it incredible that he thinks his book is like a guide to political authenticity like how (laughs) 
<laughs> that's a good that's I didn't even you know what that's right that's that is that's something else I, I don't even know that's like well all right I'm sorry this isn't very woke but I mean Dave Rubin writing a book on political authenticity makes about as much sense as Jordan Peterson writing a book on mental health oh oh <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist Sorry. <laughs> oh, just the whole book is like littered with so much garbage. It's you know I had such a hard time picking out just a few things to talk to you about because I could pick like every third word and it is clownish. You know, I believe that it, it truly is. The this. There's okay, so there's this part where he talks about respecting Ben Shapiro's homophobia. Here we go. Oh man. <laughs> Look at my friendship with Ben Shapiro, for example. He's an Orthodox Jew who doesn't personally agree with gay marriage because of his devout faith. In fact, he flat out describes my lifestyle as a sin. Surprise, surprise, I disagree with him on this view, but this isn't a problem for me because A, we accept that our different opinions are of equal worth, and B, he's not trying to overturn the law or infringe on my rights. I mean... You know what's really funny about this, actually, is th this is uh, this really catches me because I've actually been having conversations like this recently with regards to like how you build a mass left movement. Mm. And... It's actually coming in a completely different direction. And, and, and I hope people can understand who are listening, like the big difference here. So I've actually really gotten to like very much the view that you need, as an example, like labor unions are, if you don't build some form of labor power, you're not going to have like left wing politics, basically. Right. And in order to do things like that, you do need to really let people have their own beliefs in this private spheres of their life, right? As mm -hmm. long as it has nothing to do with their, um, you know, I mean, you know, basically just, you know, if they can work in a group, you need to have a group that can work together that comes from a variety of different beliefs, places, and backgrounds. And that's actually really important. And I have, you know, I have pushed back against some of the kind of project of trying to like endlessly morally perfect people. Sure. But what's so funny listening to this is that he because because, again, I think it's incredibly arrogant. I think it's off putting and I don't think it's how politics works. But what's so funny to listen to him is like he's he's ta talking about we have a common endeavor that we need to work on together. He's saying. In fact, like the point of politics is just sort of like petty bonds and friendships. Yeah, <laughs> and this person who's like existentially disrespects me, we're cool with. Also, I don't know where Ben is at now, but uh, no, this is leagues of difference. Ben Shapiro, I know, at least in the past, absolutely opposed marriage equality. And, sure, that's, another, yeah. and that's another thing that I would put very strongly on the docket, which is like, what somebody thinks of this or that social or religious issue or whatever in their private realm, mm. The meeting point is what do you actually think about things on a policy level? Like that's where things to me become very cut and dry. I don't care what people think about this or that privately, but I do care about 
your understanding of civic rights and legal rights in a civic space. So it's just really funny. He doesn't he doesn't tackle any of those questions except for the last one, except I don't think he's representing Shapiro's views accurately. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it is not like we have a common endeavor or this is something that we wrestle with because human beings are complicated. It's just like we're buddies and he thinks I'm subhuman hedonist. Um, yeah. I mean, that exchange on their show where Ben Shapiro's like, I wouldn't go to your anniversary or whatever it was. <laughs> it was one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever seen in my life. Right. And <laughs> he also thinks that their opinions are of equal worth. So, right. which is amazing to me. Like if someone said that my existence was a sin, my entire existence, I don't think I could say, oh yeah, that's uh, equally valid <laughs> to me as a, my existence is not a sin, you know? It's so ridiculous. And also the inconsistencies, right? If you spend your life talking about how, you know, we can't have more Muslim immigrants because they might be homophobic, and then you start saying that homophobia in a Western context is okay, you know, you're well, wildly uh, inconsistent and full of shit. Like, you clearly just okay it in certain parts of the world. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. I mean, that was always... I mean, you know, the most coherent... I remember years ago, Dinesh D'Souza, I don't remember the book, but he wrote a book essentially saying... No, it was so... It was the most... Probably the most intellectually honest thing he ever said. He was kind of saying, like, look, the Christian right in the United States should team up with, like, Saudi... (laughs) <laughs> like, like gay people we don't want like it was very i mean you know the whole rhetoric uh, of the it's it's you know in the last couple of decades it's been an interesting thing because on one hand with particularly obviously with muslims and migration and asylum seekers and like the there's a lot less subtext and there's a lot more overt bigotry. And then on the flip side, with, with actually with gay and lesbian people specifically, there's been this bizarre double game where the policy position is not shifted of the Republican Party. But there's a lot more like, you know, people who 10, 15 years ago, whether it was they, them, them themselves, literally, or whoever they would have been 15 or 20 years ago, they would have been all about enshrining legal discrimination into the, institute, into the Constitution. And in today's world, they're like, hey, man, like gay people are just are A-OK. And that's why we need to, you know, nuke fill in the blank country mm-hmm. or, you know, surveil such and such community. So it's it's a, it's a very interesting and and you actually can trace some of that to Israel. Israel was very much a kind of use very interested in using you know, LGBTQ equity is sort mm-hmm. of like a brand to justify their policies um, in in terms of occupation and siege. So mm-hmm. there, there's a big context to that. And, I'm, you know, it'd be really interesting to talk with Dave about that because I'm sure he's <laughs> read up on it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he knows. I'm sure he knows a lot. <laughs> um, I know that you are probably running out of time, so... Let's do another clip, okay. and then before I run, I, I this is this is amazing. This is definitely like junk food. <laughs> <laughs> the junk food of of ideas. I don't know. The junk food of ideas. <laughs> I want you to eat deep fried brain. Yeah. 
this is. Then drink another bottle of corn syrup. All right. <laughs> okay. Here's <laughs> him talking about the whole baking a cake. His examples are so bad, so bad. Special treatment for anyone. Think of it this way. I wouldn't force a Jewish painter to take commissions of Hitler imagery from a Nazi sympathizer, and I bet you wouldn't either. Nor would I make it mandatory for a historically black church to hold an event for white supremacists. This isn't rocket science, people. (laughs) (laughs) This is a fucking amazing, because this guy goes from making a whole career of freaking out about, you know, like sort of, I guess if I'm going to be charitable, I shouldn't be, but like, you know, people being annoying online and all of these stupid aspects of of sort of like left-wing Twitter culture, which part of the reason that from perspective of my politics, they can be gotten rid of so easily is because they have like nothing to do with actual politics, right? right? Like, again, going back to my earlier point, like, I don't... I don't care your sort of personal private sphere views of fill in the blank issue, but I certainly care about your, um, you know, your ability, ability to work in coalition. And I also care personally about like protecting enshrined legal rights. So what this guy does is he takes like people who are saying something dumb on a college campus, which is why maybe we should, question the cake decision which could throw the whole entirety of the civil rights act in jeopardy and i'll do that by illustrating the cake decision with examples that make absolutely no sense absolutely no sense just nonsense but again this is again where i would say that like dave is not an outlier like i remember um a libertarian years ago in the majority report and not just like a random caller like a, a you know, a recognize, I think an economics professor who basically was saying like, well, if you, you know, look, of course, I think racial discrimination is bad. But if you force people to serve, uh, you know, everybody at, at a restaurant, regardless of background, you know, that's, I mean, then you basically have to force everybody to be bisexual because what? you can't, you know, oh, absolutely. <laughs> These people are fucking nuts. And so I, I like, that's the other thing about Dave is I think sometimes like, he gets beat up on so much and like, you know, again, the classic thing, like builders don't want to build defective buildings because they'll get like a bad Yelp review or whatever. Like that's Milton Friedman. So everybody's like beating up on this poor guy, but all he's doing is just trotting out pretty established libertarian arguments in the stupidest ways possible though. But they're all stupid. Right, right, sure. I'm trying to cut him some slack because it's like I've I've heard all of these like oh you know, Michael Brooks <laughs> asking me to cut Dave Rubin some slack. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that he's not no because he's not an outlier. I mean, I've heard sure, like, sure. I've heard a million people say like go. I mean, literally, I just told you an example. But maybe people you, are able to phrase things in a way where it just doesn't sound as immediately clownish is the best word I can think of, right? That's true. And (laughs) they kind of hide their inconsistencies better. So Dave has this take about Yelp reviews, you know, regulating the economy. And then (laughs) he cries about people giving his book one star ratings Ah. on Amazon. He's like, this is literally, literally, he said the word literally, a digital book burning. Digital book burning. 
Like, look for any. Why I, can I, this guy not be even slightly consistent? Because he's Dave Rubin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, it's, that's that's what. Again, this is what. As I'm thinking about it, like, what makes him? Because all these other characters, you know, they have various reasons why it's pretty obvious um, why they stick out in the culture. But Dave, it's like, what is what is the, you know, he's he's a comedian who isn't funny. He's a guy who talks about politics, who's, you know, you know, is just, I don't know, by all appearance, I don't know, maybe he's secretly a genius, but by all appearance, <laughs> just a complete fucking moron. And I think that, that that part of it, I think that this, we're getting to where it is, which is like the cravenness and the stupidity and just the complete, like, again, someone like Sam Harris will contradict himself all the time, but he has the, you know, he's got the, he knows how to say like, well, no, that's not really a contradiction because right. you have to look at my amended blog post from 15 years ago, which has a hypertext link to a <laughs> chapter of my last book and you took me out of context. <laughs> Dave Rubin's case, it's just like, you know, it's just, wow. It's just like, like, deal with it. Stop. <gasps> a one-star Amazon review. This is like the Medici's. <laughs> he is so desperate for yeah, people to find this book controversial. That is like so that's evident it. throughout this book. And these are just like lukewarm right-wing talking points, like heated up in the microwave again and served like half cold you know it's just so bad that even the spectator can't like it um yeah it's that was a great review <laughs> the 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 idea of comparing like baking a cake for a gay wedding to forcing a jewish painter to take Hit hitler commissions from a nazi <laughs> what the fuck i mean I uh, yeah, I, I again, I just can't even, I, I, I can't even, it, it's just so beyond, like, he, he is so good at this in his own bizarre way that he makes you actually try. He, my, I've just spent the last 10 minutes thinking of what, trying to think of a better example to make his case for him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> God, this guy needs some help. He's this a wounded matter. antelope, you see. He's a wounded antelope. It's like, <laughs> God, I can tell you. I mean, I mean, it's like it's actually really funny because I'm now I'm thinking of like an alternative legal case where a Christian baker was like, no, of course, like, I'll, uh, you know, uh, I understand some kind of general principle about, you know, because if I turn away a gay couple's business, then maybe I can make a case about turning an interracial couple, turning away interracial couples business. Okay. So, okay. Regardless of my personal thoughts, I'll make a, you know, a pound cake for a wedding. And then it's like, no, the, the case is actually that a gay couple went to some poor Christian baker and was like, you need to make us like a dick cake for our wedding. Ultrasexual, <laughs> like, like you need to make us like erotica and we're not going to, we're not leaving until you do that. That would be we're gonna make out in your store until you like analogy and then you would be able to to do some kind of legal fine-tuning between like 
serving, you know, oh like <laughs> mandates around certain, uh, you know, about around sort of like basic civil protections and public service. And then like somebody going in and demanding that you actually run your business a certain way. I don't know. I, 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 I did, I did some pre-law, so I don't know. Maybe, I mean, a little rusty, but I'm just, it's just amazing that it's like, the reason that that case mattered was because if it was, you know, that could threaten, and there was a conversation with, with Jordan Peterson where Peterson was like all about the baker doing their thing. And then the guy was like, yeah, but wouldn't this implicate, you know, people in the sixties not serving black people at Howard Johnson's or whatever. And Jordan Peterson too, I guess to his credit at the time was like, yeah, you're right. That's actually a fair point. And just sort of like kept it moving. But the, but Dave goes into the the Jewish. That's a that's an amazing. That that sounds like something out of Black Mirror or something. It's just like, <laughs> you will do a Hitler painting. <laughs> and this and this is gonna set off a chain reaction throughout the art community. I don't even <laughs> like. Does he not see that not, Nazis are not a protected group? Like. I, not only does he not see that Nazis are not a protected group and they're not like an innate identity. I mean, they're, they're not. And, and I mean, I actually, I, I think the trouble, I think innate identity is a problem. I don't want to make the distinction that way. I want to just make the distinction as a protected group or not. Right. But even like, but even there, like, no, actually a civil libertarian thing would be if a couple of, if you knew people were a pair of Nazis and they went into your uh, shop and they ordered a normal cake, yeah, you'd have to serve them. Yeah. If they asked you to make something with a, you know, swat sticker or something, then you could say no. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, he just thought this through. No, wow. This, you know what? He is so dumb. He actually makes you think. <laughs> he actually, yeah, makes you do the work for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny because when, when you speak about a normal cake, like he, he also had to get his dig in uh, at like gay cakes. He's like, you know, actually at my wedding, we had like a, you know, like rosemary lime, some, something like, I don't know. We didn't have a rainbow cake. Take that gays or some, some stupid line like that. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Uh, there are some amazing. great highlights in this book. Like, he tells fe feminists to smile. He literally does. He says, smile. He says, men are more oppressed than women. Uh, you know, he talks about not hating straight white men a lot, repetitively. Um, and then he ends the book by saying, like, he hopes that this book elevates you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then yeah he had an accidental moment of like honesty um where he talked about like you know if you're not politically i, I don't know authentic or something you're gonna you're if you're not living your truth you're gonna be a dumb person's view of a smart person and people are gonna see through basically sounds like he's describing himself like it's amazing have the courage to admit when knowledge eludes you. Otherwise, you'll just be a dumb person's view of a smart person. And why would anyone want to be that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> why would anyone want to be that? Why would anybody want to be that? Oh. Well, I don't know. I guess, uh, 
I guess you can make a decent amount of coin. (laughs) Definitely can. (laughs) Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you so much. Take care. Be safe. You too. Where can people get your book? I would love people to order it at Red Emma's, which is a worker cooperative owned uh, uh, in in Baltimore. And um, that would be great. Okay. If you send me the link, I'll add it to the show notes of this episode. Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. Be safe. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian Mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too.